Well, here's what we're doing, is we are in a series on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it's sort of a misnomer in some ways, because the reality of it is that uh, it isn't really Jesus's prayer. And in fact, if you read the prayer, you'll know that Jesus couldn't pray it, because it talks about being forgiven for sins, and Jesus never sinned. So it's really more accurate to call it the disciples' prayer. The, Jesus was teaching the disciples, or teaching us, how to pray. It's a model. It's not meant to be the only way to pray, but it really is a prayer for us. And another thing that's kind of interesting is a lot of times, I think these days, when you hear the Lord's Prayer, uh, you hear it in sort of a ceremonial way. Uh, have any of you ever heard the Lord's Prayer sung? Okay, and when it's sung, it's sung like by a person who sings opera, right? And you just think, you know, that's beautiful and it's wonderful, but it's pretty far removed from like day-to-day -day life. And the reality is when Jesus actually uh, shared this prayer for the first time in the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking to a group of people who were desperate. And if you recognize that, and we're going to read through the prayer in just a second, if you recognize that, you'll see that the Lord's Prayer is a prayer of desperation. It has to do with, like, today, I don't have enough food to eat, so God, make sure that I do. Uh, today, I have been so oppressed, I've been so sort of put under, I've been kind of wiped out. They were in a, a place where the Roman government was oppressing them. Uh, they were extremely poor. They had been wronged. The people in this crowd had been wronged their whole life. They were the weakest of the weak, the poorest of the poor. And so when there's sort of this part of it about forgiving people, I mean, that was cutting edge to them. That was right where they were. And the whole idea of temptation, which, you know, we can sort of relate to if you've ever been caught in a temptation that is like from the pit of hell and it keeps pulling you in. Uh, once you recognize that those are the themes of the Lord's Prayer, you recognize that it's not meant to be sort of this ceremonial, beautiful kind of a thing that you just say in church. It was really meant to be a prayer that the most desperate people would say. So if you have Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 9. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, we'd like you to look at a Bible. Raise your hands. I think we have Bibles that we've got our little Bible hander outers wearing Huntington Beach shirts. It's such a beautiful thing. Just raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible, and you can look on as we do that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And let me just say this. Um, some of you uh, were probably just invited to church. Maybe you're not normal churchgoers. Maybe you're not even a fan of church. You're not a follower of Jesus. Uh, you're going to kind of love this message. You know why? This is one of those messages where you get to sort of duck and the Christian that's sitting next to you is going to get hit right in the face. And you can just sort of look at him and laugh and say, ha, that's for you. So um, this is going to be a great message, but it's super, super relevant. And uh, it's not going to start by sounding very relevant, but we're going to get there. Okay, so if you have patience, we'll get there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Let's read this together. It's the Lord's Prayer, and it says this, starting verse 9. Uh, why don't we read it aloud, okay? It's on the screen as well. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now what's interesting about this prayer is that it was really to combat uh, prayer practices of the day. And there were two kinds. There were the pagan prayers that tend to be uh, something that is recited, prayed over and over again, even called babbling, just sort of this thing of just saying something over and over and over and over again and sort of meditating on it. So Jesus is sort of trying to push against that mindless kind of prayer. And then also the way that the Pharisees prayed, the religious leaders of the day prayed in a certain way. And, and pretty much the way they prayed was, you know, God, thank God you have me. And, and they would really sort of display their righteousness and how cool they were. And they would do it through their prayers. And in both cases, Jesus is saying, that's not really what prayer is all about. And uh, as we've been going through this, I think you guys have spent some time on the very first part of it, which is just the idea of our Father in heaven. And the idea that, that God is a Father was something that Jesus presented in a way that had never been heard before. Now, people had heard before that, he, you know, the, the God, sort of the fatherhood of God, that wasn't that uncommon. But where Jesus pressed it forward was to say, and he's not like just sort of this father figure. He's actually your daddy. He's actually Abba, which is a word for daddy. And he said, when you're talking to God, what you need to picture is not this impersonal force. You, you shouldn't picture sort of this, this, this really stern judge looking down on you, just waiting for you to get out of line so he can hammer you on the head. What you should picture is you're talking to your daddy. You're talking to someone who loves you. You're talking to someone who is for you. Now, you're talking to someone who needs respect. But this is somebody that personally wants to be engaged in your life. That's who we're talking to here. And so the phrase that we want to look at today is a phrase that, again, kind of on the surface, um, <clears throat> may feel a little bit irrelevant. But it's the phrase, hallowed be your name. Or if you're a King James person, hallowed be thy name. And hallowed be thy name, you know, I'll be the first to admit, when you just hear those words, it's like, hmm, doesn't do a lot for me. I'm not sure exactly what that means. Uh, in fact, uh, a few years ago, well, actually, it was a little bit longer than that. When Julie and I first got married, uh, we decided to make a present for her mom, so we cross-stitched the Lord's Prayer. And Julie kind of started it, which is typical in our relationship. She is the initiator. She is the starter. And so she started to cross-stitch uh, the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> and she got to about the R in Our Father, the, the U. She, she kind of she, she nailed it up to that point. And then she turned it over to me and said, okay, why don't you finish this thing up? And so, you know, standing before you is like a recovering cross-stitcher. I cross-stitched this thing that still hangs on Julie's mom's wall. And you kind of think, hallowed, hallowed is the kind of word that should be cross-stitched, right? I mean, that's the kind of word that has almost no relevance to daily life. It is a cross-stitch kind of word. But what I want to do is talk to you a little bit about it. Maybe not. Maybe it isn't just a cross-stitched kind of word. Hallowed be your name. What does it mean to hallow something? Well, hallow literally means to make something holy. Holy means something that is set apart, something that is pure, something that you lift up 
and that you honor. Another way of looking at it is it's something that you become impressed with. In other words, it changes the way that you see things. It impacts you in a certain way. You allow it to have this kind of impact in your life, even to the point of redirecting your life around this thing that is being hallowed. So uh, even though that's not a super common way of saying it, uh, we do this all the time. We hallow things all the time. Uh, when I met Julie, I was uh, in the middle of training for the Ironman triathlon that is done in Hawaii, and that was back in the day when you didn't need to qualify for it, so I was just going to go do it. And I was training, I was training probably about three or four hours a day, <clears throat> and it would be true of me to say I hallowed the dream of running the triathlon or of competing in that. And there was a guy at that time, a guy named Dave Scott, who had won it, was in the process of winning it six years in a row. He was the total stud. He was just called the man. Uh, and uh, Dave Scott, if, if it hadn't been so creepy, I would have had his picture on the wall in my room, but that would have been creepy and I didn't do it. I really didn't do that. Um, <laughs> But I was, I was just captured with this, and nothing got in the way of my training. And I, was, I liked to train. I was just captured by this dream. And it was about six months away when I met this really cute girl. And, uh, and, and as I met her, I started to like her, and then I started to like her a lot, and then I kind of think I started to fall in love with her. And the problem with it was she lived about a half an hour away and seeing her was getting in the way of my training. And I had to come with this big decision. And the decision was this, am I going to compete in the Ironman or am I going to date this girl? And uh, I decided eventually to, cha to change the thing that I hallowed. And instead of hallowing the dream of the triathlon, I hallowed the dream of marrying this woman who I married. And so I married Julie, and we've been married for 30 years, and I made a really good choice on that, right? Right, <clears throat> right absolutely. Uh, but see, we hallow things all the time. Hallowing just means setting it up, revolving your life around it, saying it's super important to me. I'm going to be impressed with this. That's what it means to hallow something. And so here, Jesus is saying, as we start the first thing you need to know in prayer after you get our Father in Heaven out of the way, the tagline, is hallow God's name. And uh, what he's going to go on now to talk about is, so what does it mean to hallow a name? That's kind of a weird thing to say, hallowing a name. Um, but what you need to understand is names back in that day had a really different kind of meaning and importance than names today. So, for instance, uh, when my parents named me Kevin, um, I honestly think, and my mom's here, so you can ask her afterwards, um, I, I, I think that naming me Kevin didn't have anything to do with my character, with my dream, even though Kevin does mean beautiful, handsome, <laughs> smart, witty, you know, humble, all those things. You know, Kevin does mean that. But I don't think that they looked that up. I think they just liked the name. And in fact, if they were going to name me something based on what they first saw uh, when I was born, they, my dad says they would have named me something like Conehead because I had a real hard time getting through the birth canal, apparently, and my head looked kind of strange coming out. Here's the deal. We use names as a... 
it isn't still that way. So if that's what you're thinking, if that's what you're, th if you're laughing because you're like, it never really changed, shut up. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, we, we use names basically as just tags of identity, of just who is that person. So if you look at my business card, we've got to put something on it. So you put my name on it, and that's, that's who Kevin is. But back in the day when uh, the Bible was being written, both Old and New Testament, names had a far different meaning. The name really was the identity of the individual. And by identity, it described the essence of that individual. It described who that was. It gave <clears throat> excuse me, the characteristics that you needed to know if you're going to know, know that person. So for instance, do you remember when Peter, the disciple Peter, Remember what his name was before his name was Peter? It was Simon. Saul is Paul. Simon, right? And Jesus changed the name because what does Peter mean? Do you know what Peter means? It means rock. And you know what? He wanted to change Peter's name because he was changing his identity. And where Peter had been sort of flighty, very impulsive, anything but a rock, Jesus changes his name because he says, your character's changing, pal you're gonna become the rock. And so you start to see names are used differently. So, what was God's name and how did that come about? Turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter three. <clears throat> Exodus chapter three. And uh, the story is probably familiar to a, lot, to a lot of you. It has to do with Moses and with the day that Moses met God. Exodus three, burning bush, uh, you've probably seen the movie. And what we have happening is that Moses comes to God, and it's interesting because in the contact that they have, one of the things Moses asks God is, what's your name? And uh, you might even think, if you read through this, through Western eyes and through 21st century eyes, you'd say, boy, they make a big deal about the name thing. I mean, Moses has to have his name. Give me your name. Give me your name. And then God makes a big deal about presenting his name but it's because it had a deep meaning in that culture. <clears throat> so go ahead and look at verse 13, 313, and it says these words. It says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So you have this idea where there, this is a big deal. God revealing his name is a big deal. And he reveals it in sort of a mysterious way. I am that I am. And again, you've seen the movie. And so you know that that word has to be said with a deep voice. You know, James Earl Jones has to say that for that to, to resonate in the right way. What was God doing there? And why did God do that? Well, here's what you need to know. Moses had been raised in Egypt. The people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for a long time. Egypt had hundreds of gods, and all the gods had names, and all the names described what that god did. So let me give you an example. There was the god called Ra. Have you ever heard of the god called Ra before? The Ra was the sun god. Ra literally means creator. 
And so the Egyptians believed that all of creation came out of the sun. They believed that the sun is what made life happen. Of course, they were right about that. And so to call God, one of their gods, Ra, was to say because he's the creator. And we know that when we go to Ra, he's the one that we pray to for things that need to be created, for life, for those sorts of things. And so they knew how that worked. There was another god called Isis. Have you ever heard of the god called Isis? Isis was sort of like the ancient mother nature. She was the one that sort of governed seasons and governed uh, agriculture and those sorts of things. Now take this, this is so interesting. Her name literally means throne and the reason for that is because they believed that Isis was the one that put the pharaohs on the throne. Isis was the one that gave them authority and power. And so when they used the word Isis, immediately into their mind would be the identity of this God. And so when Moses says, God, tell me your name, God's going to respond by telling you, okay, let me reveal my identity through my name. And he says, I am that I am. Or uh, the way his nickname became, basically, he is. He is. And uh, in fact, every time you look in your Bible, look down at your Bible, every time you see Lord with a capital L, a big capital L, then a smaller capital O-R-D, that is the word that is used here. We uh, pronounce it Yahweh, but it's actually unpronounceable because it's four consonants. And it's not really, it wasn't meant to be pronounced uh, in the way that we pronounce it. And so God presents his name in this way basically to say, this is kind of mysterious, and that's good because I don't want you to ever think that you can sort of put your arms around who I am, but I am the great I am. I am self-sustaining. I am in your presence. I am able to do anything that I choose to do. I know all things. I am. I am. I am anything you need me to be. That's who I am. And so God sort of stamps his name out there. And he says, you'll know me by my identity. I am. I am. Now the thing that the Israelites get very quickly is this name is to be hallowed. Turning your Bibles over to 23, Exodus, or 20, actually Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And now you're moving uh, down the line a few years, and now Moses has taken the children of Israel to Mount Sinai. He's up on the mountain, and he's getting the Ten Commandments. And one of the commandments actually has to do with God's name. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. <clears throat> says these words, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Uh, maybe you've heard it this way. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Okay? Vain means empty, to make something empty. Misuse, the word that we're translating misuse in this Bible, actually comes from two words. It means to carry something, and it means to carry something in a way that doesn't make it empty. To misuse something is to carry something and make it empty or vain or futile. And so here's what God is saying. He's saying, this is very important when it comes to my name. I don't want you to carry my name in a way that makes it empty or in a way that disrespects it, in a way that makes it futile, 
in a way that doesn't give it weight. You can see it's a, the exact opposite. It's the negative statement of hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name is the positive way to say it. The negative way to say it is don't make it empty. Don't carry it in an empty way. And actually, this is so interesting because we're going to see in a second that the Jews had a problem with this commandment in two ways. One of the ways is they didn't carry the name at all. They just, they were worried about profaning the name, and so they stopped carrying it at all. They'd stopped saying it. They stopped writing it. They started to detach from it. And then the other way they messed it up is they would carry it, but they wouldn't carry it in an honorable way. They wouldn't hallow the name. And this is so interesting because now, centuries later, this is exactly the problem I have. This is exactly the thing that I do. So let's talk about this for a second because you're going to see something amazing. I think that this is amazing about how God uses his name in the Old Testament. So you have God's name, and his name is almost a living thing. It really is not just sort of this tag. It's not the thing that goes on the business card. It's actually much weightier than that, and it has almost a life of its own. It's dynamic. So look at this. In Exodus... Chapter 23, verse 20. So just flip over two chapters, 23, 20. This is so cool, I think. And here's something we're going to learn about God's name. In 23, 20, it says these words. Uh, now, this is God talking to Moses at the time. He says, see, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Now, listen to this. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is on him. My name is in him. This is such an interesting thing. Here's what God's saying. Another being can carry my name. Now, what do we know about this angel? Okay, this is group participation. What do you know about this angel just from these verses? What about this angel? Can you tell me? He's guarding, okay? So that was something. He has God's ability to guard. What else do you hear? He has authority, exactly. Don't, don't be rebelling against him. It will be just like rebelling against who? God. Anything else? He knows, he knows the plan. That's right. He's sort of tuned in. Here's the idea that you get. This is God's representative. This angel is God's representative. God sort of stamped him with his name and said, now pay attention to this guy. He's carrying my name. It's like he's standing in for me. What an amazing thing that God's name can be stamped on somebody and all of a sudden this angel becomes a representative of God. All right, let's look at another thing that happens with the name. This is even cooler. Uh, a little surprising, but I think pretty cool. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Most of you are cheating, aren't you? You're just looking on your outline, I know. Or you're waiting for the words to come up. Okay, that's fine. We're all good. I'm turning. I'm humiliating myself by wearing my glasses in front of you to read it, and you won't turn your Bibles. No, it's okay. It's cool. I'm, I don't have a problem with that. Okay, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 8. All right, listen to what this says. It says, You are not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit. Since you have not reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God is giving you. So he's talking to them about moving into the promised land. 
And he says, but you will cross the Jordan and settle the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, uh, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. And then he says these words, then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Here's the thing that is amazing to me about this. He actually says a physical place can bear God's name. A physical place can carry God's name, which I don't know all of what that means. I honestly don't. But it does make me think that what God is saying is I can put my name in a place so that my will is done there. And it just makes me wonder, is, so does God's name rest in my house? Is God's will done in my house? Does God's name rest in my office? I have an office. The question is, does God's name rest there? How about this? Does God's name rest in your car when you're driving it? Ooh, yeah. Does God's name rest in the place where you uh, rest or relax or the place where you have entertainment? Does God's name rest there? Is God's will being done there? Because it says that God's name can actually rest in a physical place. All right, let's look at another thing that's sort of interesting about where God's name goes or rests. Micah chapter 4, verse 5. And and I'm going to cheat this time. Let's just bring it up on the screen. Let's read this together. It says these words, All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. What does it mean to walk in the name of God? Walking in the name of God is basically living a certain lifestyle. And here's what God's saying here. He's saying, listen, my name can rest on your lifestyle, the way you walk. What he's saying here is that the nations all around, they walk in the lifestyle of their God. And the question is, will you walk in the lifestyle of me, in my name, in the the ways that I prescribe? Do you walk in that name? That it actually, now this becomes very personal, right? And if you think that's personal, let's look at the last thing. And that's given in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. And it says this word to us. 32, uh, Ezekiel 20, 36, Uh, verse 22 it says therefore say to the Israelites this is what the sovereign Lord says it is not for your sake people of Israel that I'm going to do these things but for the sake of my holy name now this is important to know Israel had been exiled they were now living in exile they've been taken out of their land it was the worst punishment that could have possibly happened to the people of God losing their land was the biggest worst thing that could happen And what he's saying here is, this was done for the sake of my name. Now listen to what he goes on to say. If I can find where I left off. Which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, that I am proved holy uh, through you before their eyes. And so here, listen, this is so important because what God said is, listen, here's what I did for you, Jews. 
Here's what I did for Israel. I placed my name on you. I basically said, you will represent me. You'll be the ones that declare that my name is hallowed, that I am holy and set apart, that I'm the sovereign God, that I rule with authority, that I have love and grace and compassion, and you will represent me to the world. And what happens is eventually the Jews say, we don't want to do that. For some of them, they wouldn't even carry his name. They wouldn't even identify themselves as being God's people. They separated themselves from him. For others, they said, yes, we are God's, and then they behaved in ways that were just the exact opposite of what God wanted, of who God wanted to portray himself as. And so God finally said, I cannot let this stand. Don't you understand that if you're going to carry my name, There's responsibility that comes with that because it's not just about you. It's about how I'm portrayed in the world. It's about how other people see me. It's about about them coming to me because they look at you and they say, there is something compelling about that God, something that I want to know. And he said, do you understand that if I just let you continue to profane my name, everything is going to be wrong. And so you will be punished and the nations will see your punishment. And then in my grace, I will restore you and pull you back to me. And so you start to see that carrying God's name, this is a major, major deal. And here's what we need to know, is that idea of carrying his name moves from the Old Testament with Israel right into the New Testament with the Christ followers, with the church. And so look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. You can probably get there quicker than me. 4.14. Look at what Peter says to the church. He says this, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. (laughs) Gives a whole new weight to meddling, right? You don't want to be a meddler. Uh, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And so Peter brings to us the same idea. Do you know that when you signed on to be a Christian, if you've done that, when you said yes to Jesus, when you said, I'm going to be a follower, when you said, I want his death on the cross to count for me, I want to be saved because of that, I want to be adopted by the Father, I want to come into the church family, that at that moment, God's name was put on you. And he said, now you represent me. Now you're the one who tells the world who I am. You know, we have this interesting phrase. uh, We we say we're going to go witnessing. 
And, and maybe you've heard that phrase before. The idea of going witnessing is going somewhere and telling somebody about Jesus. Very often in the old days, it was like going door to door to people you didn't know or going to the mall and going up to people you didn't know. Uh, but anyway, this idea of going witnessing, that it was a verb, that you witness as in a verb. But you know, witness is not a verb. Witness is a noun. You are a witness. The question is whether you're a good one or a bad one. You don't go to witness. You are a witness. That's what this is saying. God's name is on you. In other words, you witness who God is. And we can fall into the problems, and I can fall into the problems that the Jews fell into and that Christians have fallen into for a long, long time is A, either we don't carry the name at all or we don't carry it very well. So how do we not carry the name at all? Let me tell you the story about a friend of mine, really a great guy, love him, really a dear friend. And years ago, he had become a Christian and he had heard the phrase, um, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. Have you ever heard that phrase? Share, it's a pretty cool phrase, isn't it? Share the gospel with other people, and if necessary, use words. And, and the implication is, by your life, share the gospel. Cool, right? It can be misused. You know why? He would never tell anyone he was a Christian. And he said, it's, it's just kind of personal. My relationship with Jesus is really personal, so I never tell anyone about it. And so he was sort of taking this extreme of, I will just show him by my life. But you know what people knew about him? is that he was a really good guy. They didn't know at all that he was a Christian because he'd never talk about it. Do you ever do that? Do you ever sort of shrink back? One of the things it says here is don't be ashamed to bear the name of Jesus. And the implication is we can be ashamed. We can shrink back. We can pull back. We cannot do what, what we would be should be proud to do, which is to tell people, yes, I follow Jesus. I am proud to tell you, I follow Jesus. We are called to bear the name. We're to carry the name. We're to give the name. It doesn't mean indiscriminately doing it. It doesn't mean that you always lead with your words and never let your actions stand. It doesn't mean that. But there are times where people need to hear the words. There are times when you need to tell somebody, yes, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. He's the most important thing in my life. I hallow his name. You don't need to use that phrase. But I lift up his name. His name's important to me. He is really important to me. Yesterday, uh, I play basketball on Sunday mornings, and the reason I mention it is because I tell you all the time about it. I haven't played for a few weeks because I hurt myself for a while, but I'm not hurt anymore. And Julie woke up after I came back from exercising, and she said, did you play basketball this morning? And I said, no, I just went for a run. She goes, well, that's weird. You always play basketball. So let me tell you a secret. I don't really like playing basketball with those guys. They know I'm a pastor. They make fun of me all the time. Um, they are as crude as any group of guys as you could be around. And I, believe me, I am not Mr. Innocent Ears or anything like that. I'm not that way. But it wears me down. And yesterday when I woke up, I just thought, I think I'll just go for a run. I'll put on my music, and it'll just be 
God and me and music and sun and it will be beautiful. I don't want to go hang out with those guys. And you know what I realized later in the day? I just violated this idea of carrying Jesus' name to them because it was uncomfortable for me. Because it's hard to be around those guys at times. And you can hold me accountable. Next week, I'll be there. Next week, however I do it, I'm going to carry the name of Jesus. Do you do that? Do you pull back? Do you say, I don't want to carry the name. I don't want to identify with it. It's too hard. I get bashed. People hold me to different standards. I don't like it. We've got to do better than that. We are the ones that carry the name. The other danger, of course, is that we carry the name, that we identify ourselves with Jesus, and we don't identify in the right way. We don't hallow his name. And this, too, can be so hard. So, you know, so much we think that the third commandment, don't take the Lord's name in vain, has to do with what you say when you stub your toe, right? When you say Jesus Christ, or you say God, or whatever you say, it's like, <coughs> broke the third commandment. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And I, that, that does break it. I mean, that is a way to break it. But that's not the only way we break it. It doesn't have to just do with swearing. And when I'm around those guys that are playing basketball and they're letting all kinds of words go and the Lord's name is taken in vain quite a lot there, you know, the issue is not whether I'm going to lean into them and tell them to stop swearing because they're breaking the third commandment. Because here's the reality. The way I carry Jesus' name is far more important than what they say when they miss a shot. It really is. And so the question is, when I'm out there, am I going to be the kind of guy by what I say and what I do that I honor Jesus' name, that I treat people well, that I don't fly off the handle when something goes really wrong, or if I do, that I apologize for that? Do I carry his name the right way? And that's the question. Men and women, that's the question that Jesus brings to us today. When we pray this little part of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, the question is, can you pray that and mean it? It does not, let me just say this, it does not mean being perfect. It certainly doesn't mean being perfect. It doesn't mean that you need to operate a certain way to be adopted by your Heavenly Father. Because here's the good news, He's already adopted you. What this means is, because he's adopted you, how are you going to carry his name? Because his name is on you. So do you witness a God who loves the poor and the broken? Or do you witness a God that says, I can accumulate as much stuff for myself as I want? Do you witness a God who says, I love integrity. Or do you witness a God that says one thing and pretends to be one thing and breaks your word? Do you witness a God who is generous, generous beyond imagination? And we are, we are, we are the living testimony of that. Or do we witness a God who says, hey, everything is for me and for my agenda, and for what I want to spend it on. 
You see, we carry his name. And witnessing is not something we do. Witnessing is something we are. And people look at us all the time. And when we pray this prayer, this little part of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. The question comes, is that what you're doing? Is that what you're doing with your life? Are you hallowing the name of Jesus and making it honorable and compelling and lovely? Because it's what God calls us to do. It's what we pray. There's a story that, as far as I know, is true. I've heard it from two different sources. Uh, and if it's not true, it should be. It takes place in World War II. And as Germany was moving into uh, occupied territories, uh, they came across a, cr a Christian school. And uh, as the soldiers surrounded the school, uh, people in the school got very nervous because while they were obviously uh, moving against Jews, they were also, lots of Christians were getting caught in, in between. And so the school got surrounded and the, the kids were let go and the faculty was left. And the commander of the German soldiers came in to this room that had about 25 faculty, Christian teachers. And he said, I need to know who of you hold to the name of Jesus? Who of you are Christians? And he said, whoever holds to the name of Jesus, you are to stay here. If you claim not to follow Jesus, you are free to leave. And all of a sudden, there was tremendous tension in the room, and people looked around, and some people left. And then he said it again. He said, this is your last chance. If you hold to the name of Jesus, you are to stay Anyone else can leave. You are free to go. And a few more people left. And pretty soon there was just a small group of people that were standing there. And the commandant of the German little platoon there took off his helmet and sat down. And he said, I've been looking for some Christians to fellowship with. How do we carry the name of Jesus? Would you pray with me? Lord, you are such a good God. You are such an incredible God. And the fact that you would give us your name to carry. And Jesus, I'll just tell you straight out, there is an awesomeness to this and there is a great fear that comes over me because I know myself. And I know that there are times I don't even want to carry your name. And there's other times where I carry it in the wrong way. And I am grateful for your grace. Lord, help us to be a church. Help Huntington Beach to be a church where it would be true of us to say, we hallow your name. We don't do it perfectly, but it is our heart's desire to carry your name in a way that brings you honor and is compelling to the people we're around. We pray for that kind of strength. We pray for that kind of influence. Lord, let us bear your name in this way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.